In the marketing communications landscape, commercial sponsorships are often viewed as somewhere between invaluable marketing tools and a chairman's whim. Fortunately, this is beginning to change, with sponsorships maturing for mere bit players to play in genuine and major roles in delivering commercial returns and benefits. But how do we know when it's done correctly and efficiently? Salesandmedia.com decided to ask some experts and try and find out what really makes sponsorships commercial. Hi, this is Paul Gardner, and today I'm talking to Mark Code, who's the CEO of IPG Media Brands Australia. Welcome, Mark. Uh, thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on your uh, on your podcast. Now, what, what an unusual time to be CEO of a large company. I mean, you've only been there a few months, two of which have been COVID months. I mean, how oh, no. have you found the move? Um, it's been, well, look, I'm grateful that I got to spend the first few weeks in the business. The degree of difficulty would have been much greater had that not have happened. So I'm grateful for that. And it, look, it's been a good start. I mean, the business is in good shape. Um, we're tapping along and coming in to, to lead a business like this, it's, it's, it's actually been in a warped kind of way, a good time to do it. Cause it, it you know, it would have taken me months to cover the type of ground and to understand the business as well as I think I'm starting to understand it now. So in, in that regard, it's been a plus and not, not that I'd wish this on anybody, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, so hasn't, it hasn't been a bad start. So you have 800 people in Australia? Yeah, just ne- nearly, thereabouts. How many? How do you fit eight hundred people on a Zoom call? <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, busily. But um, yeah, so we got eight hundred people. We literally, with three days' notice, we sent them home uh, to work from home. We, um, I think this is now we're into week ten or eleven. I think thereabouts. And um, yeah, it, 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 I was actually talking about this with someone this morning. How agile we've proven to be and I think a lot of companies can say the same thing if we had have embarked on a project to send all of our people to work from home on a permanent basis that would have been six months to a year in the making and we did it seamlessly in three days which which is staggering when you think about it now I'm not going to ask you about your staffing policies moving forward but let's talk about an obvious one which is commercial property do you think now having had this time at home and coping the way you've obviously coped the way the business has coped that you'll be more flexible in terms of where people can do their work from? Yep, absolutely. Uh, We've already discussed that uh, on a few fronts. I think there are people who will want more flexibility in the way they work. There are people who won't want to spend an hour on public transport every morning and every afternoon. There are already people saying, I feel more productive doing it this way. So I I don't think we'll ever get back to what we used to look like. We're already thinking about what that means from a real estate point of view. As many companies are, you know, you, you look at the cost of real estate. Could we save money there down the track? Absolutely. We, we will never use all of our facilities to the full extent we used to use them. We've already got people on nine-day fortnights. We've uh, we've spoken publicly about that. Uh, and I genuinely think some people will not want to come back from that arrangement. I think it'll work for some people. They'll, they'll, they'll enjoy the balance uh, and the productivity that comes with it. So, yeah. I guess in your business, when you look at something like improving margins, which is we're always pretty tight, as I recall, I mean, your commercial real estate's generally around 8% of your revenue number. So if you can cut that down by a couple of percent and the people are happier doing it, surely that's that's the future, not just for you, but for Australia. Yeah, definitely. And I've done this not so long ago for a different company. Last time I moved to business, we, we did a time and movement study on the whole company. And I think that the high watermark, the most we ever used of our facilities was something like 73, 74% of, of meeting rooms, workstations, you know, capacity. And that was before this. So there's no doubt we'll look at our longer term arrangements come, come through. Mark, this. You've, 
You've recently moved to IPG, as we discussed, from, from PhD. Why did you decide to move? Tell me the difference, because when I look at it from an outside perspective, I think, ah, media company's a media company. You buy Marriott at first sight, or you've got <laughs> specialised in one or the other. What, what was the difference for you? What, what was the big telling point to make that move? There was a few things wrapped up in that. I mean, one, one was, I was I w- I'd been with PhD for seven years, with, with the group for a lot longer than that, and I just felt that we'd achieved everything that we'd set out to achieve. I think we were quite proud of what we put together and so I was certainly ready for I was certainly ready for change I was thinking about what the next part of my career might might look like um, so there was that but when the opportunity came up to talk to media brands it didn't take me long at all to decide I'll be honest with you uh, I, okay. and it was a combination of things and I'm not you know this will sound self-serving it's not meant to but they there is some great agencies they've got really good momentum they've got good leadership I think there's an opportunity to make a difference and an impact or, or I wouldn't have done it but ultimately, it comes down to the values of the company and the people I met. I had some initial conversations in person um, with the global CEO and COO, Daryl Lee and, and Jim Heitner. And I walked away from those meetings very quickly. And I said to myself, I could, I could very easily work with these people and for these people. Lee Terry, who's the APAC CEO, is a great, a great colleague. I've worked with him extensively before. So it, it was a very natural fit, aligned values. Great opportunity, agencies in a good place. And me what, contemplating my career, the, the timing was perfect. So, yeah, worked out really well. Tell me about the media landscape in general. We talked about commercial real estate is going to take a bit of a hit and I guess the millennials are going to keep surging forward. How, how do you find it now, the media landscape, and what do, you, what do you see post-COVID? Are we suddenly going to go back to the way we used to be in terms of what we buy and what we watch and how we consume media? Or are things going to change apart from Zoom and apart from Uber Eats? <laughs> there will be shift. I mean, in, in terms of the landscape, it is it is tough out there. There's no question about that. And I think some of those that have fared the worst in this industry have been the media owners themselves because they're, they're at the receiving end. You know, I think a lot of agencies and consultants, there's still work to do. You know, we've had scope reduced, but we're still active. We're providing counsel. We're revising plans. We're planning re-emergency. There's still work to do. But the, the recipients of the ad dollar, I think, have been affected as much or more than most through this. And there's been different impacts even in that environment. You know, the moment out of home has been hit pretty bad, clearly, because people aren't out of home. <laughs> you know, TV's done pretty well from an audience point of view. That hasn't necessarily translated to dollars because viewership is up. Whether that remains or whether we, you know, some of that has to go back to to some degree what it was as, as our as our patterns of behaviour change. But yeah, I, 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 think, I think there will be some enduring legacy of this I'm, I'm not super sure what it is to be honest with you reality reality tv stays we haven't finally got rid of that <laughs> i would like to think i'd like to think it disappears with COVID, but i sneak in suspicion it'll be no, back no that won't happen they're, they're around for a little while yet i live a block away a couple of blocks away from where they're filming the new block for next year and <laughs> i can tell you people people stand outside it every day looking at it so it's got a bit of work to do yet. yeah 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 no definitely definitely and then yeah look tv still got a significant role to play in the building of brands and the selling you know the selling of services and, and products from our clients so there's it's still a very powerful medium there's no question about that how do you see client budgets i mean clearly clients have been hit pretty hard and i guess the most revenue numbers have been dramatically affected unless you mm. can't be building or, or health or something but do you see that being a big impact suddenly they ring you up and say you know we don't want this anymore we're going to cut it by 10 percent or 20 percent it's probably the singularly the 
the most frequent question I get asked is, you know, what, what, what's happened to client spend? And there's no hard and fast answer to that. It's, it's literally by category. You know, some, some clients, their categories simply shut down overnight. You know, if you're operating in tourism or non-essential retail or travel or fast food, or entertainment or cinema, you know, your category just shut down. So, so you spend you spend mirrored that. Some categories are firing along to the point where they actually don't need to spend money on advertising because they they can't keep up with demand. We've seen some categories, and I don't like this word; it's a terrible word, but you know, they they, they pivoted, they changed their businesses, you know, and suddenly within a matter of weeks, we saw them back to market using terminology like contactless transactions and home delivery and click and pick, and you know that and 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 categories and businesses you wouldn't otherwise expect that to happen. So there are advertisers who simply because of consumer sentiment and, you know, most households went into some form of financial, you know, lockdown or belt tightening, they, they just chose not to be in market. FMCGs, most of packaged goods companies are probably in that space. So it, it, I just think it varied dramatically by by category. But overall, you have the market's definitely down. But, you know, the good news is I've noticed this in probably in the last week or two, the conversations have changed with clients now. You know, the, where we were talking about what do we do now, we're now talking about what do we do next. You know, they're, they're planning the emergence and what happens after this. And, you know, some have been doing that for some time, but the, the mood of the room feels like it's shifted. If you, if you look at your business in particular then, to, to put it finally – there must be some projects that you had planned when you walked in there. Have you delayed them or have you sped them up or have you said, no, we're going to junk until next year or we're not going to do it again? I'd say the answer to that is both. There, there are probably some less essential projects mm-hmm. that we've parked or put, you know, just put a line through the expenditure or the investment required. There are some that we fast-tracked. You know, there are areas where we need to build some form of efficiencies into our business. That's probably the best example where we've used this as the opportunity to fast-track that. So there's probably a bit of both, to be honest with you. Mark, we obviously we're talking a bit about sponsorship eventually. I mean, you'd imagine, as we've seen firsthand, that a lot of sponsorships, uh, people are starting to question it. I've, I've managed to survive without football. Do I really need it when it comes back? Or rugby? Mm. Or the Grand Prix we saw get cancelled? I mean, what's what's your current take on sponsorships? What, what do you advise clients on sponsorships now? I think the, the if I was to give a singular piece of advice that's related to what we're going through at the moment, I actually think that there's a lot of properties, premium properties around sports that have been vacated or left, you know, advertisers have walked away from them. And, and they're, they're, generally in, they're generally areas of a significant demand. So, you know, when the market lights back up again, it, it's almost going to be a bit of an arms race, I think, to go back and secure those properties. So, you know, my advice to advertisers would be, you know, be ready. You can't be in, uh, in normal mode where it takes, you know, weeks to raise a purchase order and get your approvals through your system. You know, get onto it now because when those properties come back on the market, you need to be nimble enough to get on them. So there's certainly that aspect. But in terms of sponsorship in general, I, I, I can't see the rules of why you'd sponsor a certain environment or program. I, I can't see that changing too much, to be honest. I, think that, I don't think the criteria has changed. So if, you, if your client comes to you, talks about a sponsorship and says, listen, I'm thinking about going to the AFL, I mean, how are you going to measure that against something like, I want to just sponsor but I'm Married at First Sight or Lego Masters or something or something? I mean, when the numbers spit out, yeah. I mean, it's per thousand different, right? I, I guess the first thing is not there's not many clients who sort of ring up and say, you know, I'd, I'd like a sponsorship. I mean, you, you have to consider sponsorship in a broader media mix around how what role is it playing in my comms, how does it engage my audience, 
and you know how does it how does it help me sort of push my message to market so and so really really does the does is the question i need a sponsorship the the, the, the question's more around you know here's the business problem i'm trying to solve yeah what are my options and sponsorship may or may not emerge as a possible as a possible option in that instance well, if I'm a sporting brand and I say, listen, Mark, we're going to put 60% of our business into the Olympics, oops, it's gone, now what do we do? Do you say, let's go and find another uh, allied sporting event or do you say, well, um, no, I'm going to find, we need to have some ambassadors or do you say, let's wait till next year when Tokyo kicks on again? I think the first question I'd be trying to ask is what what were we trying to achieve with that sponsorship in the first place? If we'd allocated that, that kind of freight into the Olympic Games, what is it we were trying to achieve? And if we can identify that, then the question becomes: How else can we achieve that? Do we still is that still the aspiration for this year? Do we want to do that this year? And if it is, how else might we do that? And another sponsorship might be the answer at all. I mean, the answer could be anything and everything from an, another media channel to a to a change in pricing strategy and distribution strategy for the product. I mean, it could be anything. So I don't necessarily see it as you know, you, you, one opportunity's gone. Let's, let's go find another one. I, I, I wouldn't see it that way. I'd see it more as what role was it there to play? Now, apart from running IPG media brands, you're also involved for many years with the Comedy Festival. Now, mm. if ever a, a business was hit pretty hard, you'd imagine it'd be an arts festival. How are they finding it? How are they coping? Uh, yeah, it wasn't hit pretty hard. It was actually whacked. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we had a board meeting. We had an emergency board meeting a matter of days before before the opening the opening night, and, and we had no choice but to... But to pull the pin, you know, it, it was it, it was just, I think it was the day before we had I can't remember the dates now, but there was a date where the government came out and significantly reduced the number of indoor gatherings to a number. I think it was to, down to a hundred or something, uh, and that was happening the next day. So we literally had no choice. So from then it became an exercise of, of financial retrieval. Um, how much could we get back from venues? How do the artists get paid? What do we cancel? What do we get out of it? It was a massive recovery exercise. So what do, you, what, what do you do with the sponsors of, of the comedy festival? Do you say to them, please stick with us for another year, let's keep the money, we'll rebate some of it? How did you, how did you handle the sponsors? The festival doesn't carry a great number of sponsors. There are some partners and activations within, and they essentially cancelled. I mean, most we hope to retain next year, but, but yeah, most we, we simply had to cancel. We, we couldn't provide what it is they, they'd bought you know, for March, April of this year. So, yeah, we certainly haven't looked to keep funds. We weren't able to deliver their, the, the, the property. So they've, uh, they've, they've retained their budgets. But, you know, we hope to see them next year. And the, the signs are positive. By and large, we will. I spoke to a few people involved in the Comedy Festival, the mm. mainly from performers, and mm. they say that up to 80% of their yearly revenue comes from that festival. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know exactly the numbers, but that wouldn't surprise me. They've been hit really hard. And, of course, most of them are sole contractors and, you know, they work for themselves. It took a lot of work for them to get a hearing with government around any form of assistance. They certainly didn't qualify for any of the JobKeep scenarios because very few of them are employees of, of you know, of companies. So uh, they, they were hit pretty hard. And, and, you know, it's not like they could pick their work up and take it elsewhere because they simply couldn't do it in venues. But Mark, you're obviously involved in Comedy Festival Discuss, involved in business. And you found as though you see a pretty positive note when we come out of this and a positive note for media in general. I mean, how, how do you see the future of media? We've gone through all these sort of permutations and combinations and programmatic. I mean, what, what's the next big thing coming up that you can see on the landscape? Well, the, the, the next evolution of media is, is how we how we move away from 
broadcast demographics and into data-fueled, valuable audiences? How do we construct an audience using the available information and how do we execute and target that audience, you know, with precision at scale? And that's 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 what we're working on. And your programmatics just the, is sort of the nucleus of that that's going to form the engine room of a future media agency. And the ability to get to the right people with precision on scale is going to be our craft and it's going to be our competitive point of difference to, you know, how well we do. It used to be about scale. I mean, you remember this. I, I, you know, you're, I'm guessing, Paul, back in your heady days at Grey, you know, when, when, when you had a media department, the opening slide of their credentials would have been, here's how big we are. It was, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was all about scale. Um, it's all about size. Yeah. It's all about size, but it's not about that anymore. It's about infrastructure, technology, and capability. And how do we best help our clients navigate through that environment to build specific audiences? As I said before, reach, reach them at scale with precision. And that in, and that in turn means a, a different set of staff skills, doesn't it? I mean, you're talking about data scientists and people that have studied different yeah, areas. And people, absolutely, people coming out of the purest yeah. in media, probably. Don't have those skills. Absolutely, and it's um, you know the skills that a media agency possess these days is it it it, it, it amazes me. I mean, you know, when we went through the early days of our careers, our, our our career progression was linear. We did one job, we were good at it, we we worked the next one, and and now the vast majority of people in a media agency, I couldn't do their job if I had to. I know what I know I know what the outcomes are, and I know I know what it is they do, but I don't know how to do it. Um, you know, the the skills required now are extraordinary. I did a looked at a course the other day. We're talking about the difference with digital and social, and clearly around different search engines. And, and it must be it must be almost impossible to keep up with this. How do you keep up with it all? I mean, again, at, we we rely on the expertise of the people in the business to to do that for us. You know, that's that's what they do. But yeah, just keeping up with what's required and what what the changes are out there. It's a it's it's a full time job. There's no doubt about that. So, Mark, if I could summarise, you see the future of hiring people who have skills that you don't have mm -hmm. and who do things that you probably can't do yep. working from working remotely. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I don't know where they are. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know where they are, but it's all going to be successful. Have I summed that up perfectly? Yeah, but we'll be fine. Yeah. Yep, you have. <laughs> I'm speaking to Mark Code as the CEO of IPG Media Brands. Mark, thank you for your time today. Yeah, you're welcome, mate. Good to chat.